wonder if they okay perfect so we are gonna go ahead and get started debbie i want you to introduce yourself and then we will pick right back up on what you were just talking about sure sure all right so um my name is debbie uh deb that's what most people call me um i'm a physical therapist by trade uh i've known bryce for a long time um here in the Columbus, Ohio area. I have my own private practice. I work in the corporate world. Um, I'm in a, in a pretty big career shift at the moment. I'm uh, pretty excited about it, but it's a lot of work. So kind of, it's ever evolving. Um, so you're kind of catching me and like, I've never really, um, aside from my close circle of friends, um, I haven't really spoken publicly about what I'm doing. Uh, so this would be, you know, we'll like dip the toes in a little, see how it goes. Oh yeah. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on because A, I used to coach you. B, you, you used to work on me and put me back together after I broke myself. Um, I used to do that with a good amount of people that, that we know that were relatively high level competitors as well. So you have a lot of familiarity with that, um, with elite level performance, which is something that. I'm very interested in a lot of people that listen to this are very interested in as well. Um, but also kind of like where you're shifting. I know that I'm interested. A lot of people are interested in that too. So we could definitely talk about that, but no, just picking back up where we were just talking about, what were you, what were you saying? Cause I'm all ears on this one. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know, like Bryce sends you this little questionnaire when he asks you to be on his podcast, <laughs> he's like, fill out what you'd like to talk about or you know, whatever questions. And I was like, all right, like the first memory that I have of you, I think I had been training at the gym that you were coaching at for maybe like three months. And I was training with Danae um, that morning. Yeah. And yeah, we came in. We loved, we loved our Bryce days. I think they were Fridays too, probably. But anyway, so it was my first time ever with you. I'd seen you from afar. I'm like, man, this guy is like put together. He, you know, you, I could hear <laughs> whenever I heard you talk, I'm like, man, like he sounds really intelligent, but like in a big, like dumb animal kind of way. And then you really talked <laughs> and he's so intelligent. I you might want to cut that out. <laughs> oh, I'm leaving that. You also, you also, you should preface this and say that this was whenever I was what, like 20, like 19? Yes, you were. Yeah. yeah, this was literally like like 10 years ago at this point. Um, so it's like 6 a.m. Like nobody wants to be there. I show up and it's just Danae and I. Like, you know, like, where is everybody? Like, why are we <laughs> why are we being left with him by ourselves? <laughs> and we go through the workouts, upper body is pretty and it was good. It was really good. And then um, you weren't very talkative, which I was surprised that because you, I had always kind of heard you talking to other clients. So we're doing a finisher, right? And you, you're like, all right, guys, I don't know what we're doing yet, but you pick up this 50 pound slam ball and you walk over to me and you drop it at my feet and you like, give me the up down. And you're like, yeah, this is going to happen. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then you proceeded to do the same thing to Danae. And I just remember this like fear in my body. <laughs> and then for 25 minutes, we did some like pyramid of slam ball work. And I, I wanted to die. <laughs> like, I was like, this man 
is a sadist. <laughs> like he does not like people. Someone urinated in his Cheerios this morning. Like this is it was bad. And then we felt it for like three or four days. <laughs> yeah. It was great. Now we've been friends ever since. Oh yeah. And I think um that was that was probably the time where I was still like really, really trying to like figure out what I wanted to do. Like this is something that like I was really interested in pursuing long term. That might have been around the time I was like an intern still, like an unpaid intern. I don't even know if I was like a real coach at that point. Um, but I remember distinctly, like around that time, having a lot of uncomfortability, like speaking in public and like being in front of a group and like kind of having to take charge of the situation. And it was just, it, it was unfamiliar to me. So being in that space, like you said, you're like, all right, guys, I don't really know what the fuck I'm doing. Like, I think those types of situations where like, I literally was like on the spot and like, I had to think quickly and I had to kind of like almost bullshit my way out of like a sticky situation. Um, those were some of like the best lessons I learned whenever I was younger, whenever I was interning, whenever I was coaching in person. Um, because yeah, like maybe that wasn't necessarily the best thing to have you guys do. Like, you know, any other clients might have never come back after that. Like they'd be like, fuck this guy. But, uh, but no, like, it's just, that's something that uh, that I, I feel like I've carried a lot over into what I do now is just almost uh, an irrational outward confidence where like you have you have to like always be very confident in, like everything that you're saying and you also have to really be able to build like that that trust and like that camaraderie with everybody that you're working with too because no matter like what I had you do in that moment if you were like this guy truly doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about or this guy is like trying to put on an act and you know like I can see right through it those tend to disintegrate trust pretty quickly. Uh, but I feel like even back then, it was pretty easy to see like, all right, this guy's young. Like he's kind of just like coming up with shit on the spot. He's pretty genuine about like the situation and what's going on, but we'll just play along with it, right? Um, I think that those are like some of the lessons I learned back then. But it's really funny that you had to kind of be like the the guinea pig for a lot of like my dumb ogre 19 year old brain ideas. Yeah, no, I think like, well, I mean, we you definitely like, we returned the favor on that as when I opened my own private practice, you know, a couple of years after that. But I, I think you're, you're so right. Like the, like that space in general, um, like those early days in that gym, I feel there was definitely like a real strong community and it felt like a place where, especially for me being a PT, like stepping into like a barbell world, right? It was just such a great learning experience because you had like you and like a couple of the other coaches, I just, we would have great conversations about like mechanics and then like rapport and then how to like build into like a really good set and then how to like come off of it and then how to modify and things like that. So those are really like constant conversations, um, which I really valued because, you know, in my formal education you just don't get any of that so it was really neat to kind of be around people who had athletic training backgrounds or like exercise science and like being able to like talk about that in the midst of of a workout it was pretty it was pretty cool like I really enjoyed that time for sure yeah and like I actually had Kayla on the podcast like a while back and we were talking a lot about some of the early days like being at the gym and how many like really insanely intelligent overqualified coaches there were 
at the gym at the same time. And like, we were looking back and like, holy shit, like that was a pretty insane collection of kind of raw talent. And we were all young, mm -hmm. we all didn't really like know what we were meant to be doing. Um, but that's just, it's one of those things for me in my head where I'm like, damn, like if we could have just like coordinated and like worked together and like truly tried to like build something beyond just like the, all right, guys, we're showing up today and we're going to coach some people that we're friends with. Like if we would have actually been like, all right, guys, like we're going to try and build this into something like huge. Th those were a lot of really, really intelligent people that could have like worked together to do that. But I feel like we were all kind of like siloed in our own little islands. And then we all moved on and we're all doing our own shit now. And everyone is like doing really well. And it's, it's awesome to see, but it, there's also a part of me that's like, damn, I like it'd have been dope to see what we could have all done together if we'd have just been able to like communicate and coordinate rather than like trying to do it all on our own. But, um, but yeah, no, I sometimes think about those days and I'm like, man, they sucked, but they were fun. They sucked, but they were, I, it's, it's yeah, nice I mean, those work environments. Yeah. You guys like, I mean, I just remember cause I would, there were a few times and that those days where I was like, yeah, I'm going to like do two days, whatever. But like I go at six and then I come back and like the same group of coaches is there. And I'm just like, D it's 12 hours later. <laughs> like what's going on? Like, uh, it was, yeah, it was great. But like we, yeah, it was just such a really interesting group of people um, to put together. Like you bring up Kayla and I remember like each coach had such a, a, at a certain like knowledge or ability and like I remember um I would always choose Kayla's classes she was like kind of like a cheerleader and like if I didn't want to be there I I knew like no matter what like yeah. her energy would at least like pick me up off the ground a little bit yeah. I thought I mean that's probably not great for her she probably just thought I like hated being there with her but which I mean like how it did but like there was a very specific reason I chose her glasses versus like somebody else's and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, you guys, it was really special. Like it was really, I think if you lined up anybody who like trained there at the time, they would say, they would all say the same thing. And they, and they kind of do like when we, when I run into people in Columbus, like, oh, I remember like, yeah, that was great. It's really good times. That's one thing that I often really miss, especially working remote now, like obviously the job that I have is is awesome and incredibly privileged and luxurious. Like I can work from home. I can work from anywhere. I can travel and spend a month in Italy if I want to and still work from there. It's pretty great. Um, and we're able to work with clients all over the world. So again, that's awesome. I'm not like, you know, restricted geographically. Um, but there is something to be said about just like being like literally around people who all are in really smart, really passionate, really driven towards the same thing, the same things that you are. And you like see how other people operate and like get motivated to do better. And like other people push you out of your comfort zone. And they're like, Hey, if you don't get better, you're going to get fucking fired. And you're like, okay, I guess I have to get better now. Right. So it's like, like for me, um, I think I'm just very, I'm very attracted to like people who can work hard and just like really push themselves and like suck it up and just do difficult shit all the time. Whether that's like obviously in the gym, which is, I guess, you know, kind of why I am the way I am, but you know, even professionally work, like those days I, we would be in the gym, like you said, kind of like 5am and then we would go home at like 8pm. Right. And a lot of people can't deal with that type of schedule. And like, I didn't even think I could, 
Um, but a lot of the shit that I put up with back then, I wouldn't now. I definitely would not put up with that shit now. But I'm glad that I did it back then because it kind of taught me the lessons that I can utilize now whenever I'm running my own business, I'm working with people. And um, there were good lessons, but also things not to do as well. So I learned I learned both being kind of a passive observer to the situation at at hand at the gym that we were that we were all at but um no i i no more talking about me i want to talk about you a little bit because uh you definitely have an interesting story and you have uh some pretty cool shit that you can add so one thing i do want to ask you about is i guess a little bit more personal so um luke is your husband and luke is someone that i mean you can probably talk about who luke is um but he has dealt with a lot of of shit um, so maybe you want to kind of dive into that because I'm very curious to kind of hear a little bit more about like your role and some of that. And also like, you're someone who you're in the, the rehab field, you're in like the, the domain of like putting people back together. And like your husband is pretty notoriously like beat up from what he's done recreationally, but then also just like some of the medical problems. But like, I guess, um, you want to kind of talk about Luke, like what he does, what he's done. And then like some of the stuff that, um, you've kind of been along the ride for. Yeah, so um so Luke Edwards, uh he trained at Westside Barbell for 15 years. Um we've been married for five, just celebrated our fifth wedding anniversary a couple weeks ago. Um and he I mean I mean if you understand what Westside Barbell is, then you understand to be able to train there for 15 years is something that um is a struggle and an accomplishment in and of itself but um I met him actually after his second kidney transplant so he was born with a um a congenital kidney disease and um hit you know it, it affected him in so many different ways but he really never for better or for worse let that alter his passion for being strong and lifting and things like that so you know obviously he would tell the story way better than I would but um you know he found out who Louis Simmons was as a, when he was a teenager when Luke was a teenager and you know got the VHS tapes which he might still have because <laughs> we're a, like a little bit of a border situation but anyway so he you know he called up Lou because when like back then like that's what you did you called people um so he called up Lou and like the phone number listed was like the office or I don't know if it was Lou's house at that point I think it was the office by the time Lou got there um and Lou would just have conversations with anybody who called so anyway um Luke was invited uh to train at the gym after he had been um training out in Fort Wayne for quite a few years and then finally got the invite after a meet um broke some all-time world records uh with stage four kidney disease um pretty soon after he got to west side he went into full-blown like stage five dialysis needing a transplant um and like I said, he's he's had three at this point. We actually just celebrated a year of his most recent transplant, which were it's just insane. Um, so grateful for. But yeah, so he um when I met him, he was uh just coming off of his most his second kidney transplant. 
So I had never known him um, when he was sick. And we, it's crazy. Um, we got married in August. And then whatever, eight, nine months later, he competed at the Arnold, which you were there for. Uh, he was in that uh, deadlift competition. And he didn't do well and he didn't feel well. Um which is really crazy because he was like pulling like 900 in the gym and just felt so good. It was probably the best prep that he's ever had. Um, so fast forward to the Arnold and then seven days later, we're at Ohio State and they're telling him that his kidney is failing and, um, you know, he's going to need another transplant. He's going to have to go back on dialysis. So it's been, um, you know, how say your first year of marriage is the hardest. They don't lie. You know, that's, that was accurate for us. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's been, it's been a road. Um, it's been a road and we have, I, I told you when we tried to record a couple of days ago, you know, it's, it's been, um, it's been a lot. Like I, a year ago, year and a half ago uh if you would have asked me if I would be married today I would I would have said no um but here we are there's been a lot of like answered prayers and you know faithful intention and things like that and and the kidney and you know it's part of the reason why I'm on the road I am right now so as hard as it's been and and I know you understand like your whole life holding apart and wanting to walk away it's like a huge part of, of how I'm shifting and why I'm shifting. Yeah, no, that was actually going to be my next question. It was just kind of like, you know, what aspects of being an observer to everything going on has kind of pushed you towards wanting something a little bit different for your career? Because I, I would say that you being more of a PT, a hands-on PT, kind of plays into, all right, I'm going to physically put you back together, right? You, you tear a muscle, I'm going to put you back together. But in the, the case of where, you know, Luke's kidneys are failing or you're having to watch it, there's literally nothing you can do. There's no amount of like dry needling or cupping or, you know, massage that can help that, that situation. Do you, so you definitely feel like going through that process has really like pushed you towards wanting something a little bit different for how you're helping people. Yeah, I think, um, it's, you know, it's been a weird few years in healthcare in general. And so I think the the combination of a global pandemic and all of these restrictions and all of these stressors just to the max, plus, you know, my own personal story, um, it became very, very much less about how is my body feeling and more is am I feeling and people would um I think just knowing you you're you're a good example of this we'll we'll get to that in a second um but you know my clients would come in and these these are clients I've had for years so you know we've got this rapport and they come with the same issue over and over again I'm like okay and they're doing they're diligent right because I only see active individuals I only see athletes and and people who ascribe to that kind of lifestyle so I know they're doing the work but it's like what what is happening like there's this giant shift and how do we figure out what is going on so you know a lot of people 
um, if you're a client of mine, you know, like I'll ask you about what's going on with your body. And then very soon after that, I'm going to ask you, okay, what's going on in the rest of your life? Meaning what kind of stressors or not even stress, just responsibility is happening. And so many times those things are tied into performance more so than anyone wants to give them credit for. And and I think that's part of society in general. Like we don't, um, we don't give enough uh, credit to our nervous system for how it needs to function in order for us to perform, right? And like our nervous system being our central nervous system, which is our brain. And um, so those, you know, those are interesting rabbit holes of conversations to go down. And then once we would go down them and be like, well, do you have like a therapist that you talk to? And like, most people's response is like, no, like, I don't, you know, I've tried talk therapy before. I'm not interested or it didn't help me or, you know, whatever iteration of that. But what I noticed is that if I started to get hands on, right, like doing some manual work or having them like slow through different movements or just doing like a movement assessment. And we just start to like talk about different things like okay this is we'll just take like a squat assessment right just because it's easy so as I'm watching them move and like making adjustments and we're having a little bit of chit chat because a lot of times and if you don't know we'll just your patterns are based on things you do all the time so your squat pattern is based on how you like sit right how do you get in and out of a chair all the time so there's always connections but that movement or that flow of energy or that whatever it it brought them into a state where okay now we're like talking about like the death of your mom or your big work project that's coming up and so it was just a really it it was happening all the time and part of it was like okay is this just me (laughs) or like people feel really comfortable with me uh which you know is always part of like you have to be able to have conversation with people but the other thing that I realized is like the nervous system is so dynamic. And if you can reach that through the body, then you can eventually get to the mind. And for some people, you can go through like talk therapy and the mind first. But like um, I used to think that that mind-body connection was linear. And, you know, that's kind of how I would I would base a lot of my thought process. But it's really not, it's circular, right? And like, so if you've got this like circle and you've got like the mind and the body, right? Like this, this place, like each person comes in in a different place. You just have to be good enough. Really, I wouldn't even say clinician. You just have to be a good enough uh, interviewer or or have enough interest to ask the right questions. Um, so that was really, uh, when I stopped fighting that, in understanding, okay, like the answer is pretty much always the nervous system, no matter what. It's just how do I get there, right? How do I get there with each person? Um, so my my assessments, my evaluations, they look very different than if you go to like an orthopedic PT. Like it, it's it's nothing like that. And, and so that yeah, that's kind of a long answer to what has happened in and just in my world in the last few years. And what I saw from that or what I have been seeing is that when 
when you can get there with someone, um, meeting, get to that that nervous system or that that place in the nervous system that brings it down for them and makes everything feel better, then their performance is better, their lifestyle changes, and they're just better in general. So it's uh, it's been interesting to say the least. Yeah, and the way that I kind of think about this is with just regular massage, right? I know that mm-hmm. a lot of people will get um, not even deep tissue, but just relaxing massages on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. And I'm sure that most people understand that, you know, you going in and getting a relaxing massage for 30 or 45 minutes probably isn't going to be working out like the kinks deep in your muscles or it's not correcting your movement patterns. Or, you know, if you have some chronic tendonitis, it's probably still going to be there on the other side of that massage. But one thing that I found personally is that I almost value the psychological component of massage where it forces me to just relax for that period of time. I value that almost more than the physical component where it allows me to kind of just like go into this, this passive state and just not have to worry about shit. I can just sit there and have even have a conversation. Like you said, it's, it's almost like being at the barber where, where it like disarms you and it turns from something that's physical into something that's a little bit more like mental psychological, where there are certain professions where it just seems like there's a therapeutic component to it, where it becomes a little bit more easy to have those, those more personal conversations and get to kind of like the emotional root of whatever is going on in their life versus them just being very guarded. And I I definitely think that there is some aspect of like the release that's happening at the physical release with like PT or massage that, opens you up a little bit more emotionally to have those types of difficult conversations. And you, I mean, you alluded to it a little bit, but um, I mean, obviously I've never been in your chair. I've been in the position of being like a a personal trainer and, you know, pushing people really hard. And there's, is kind of that effect too, where there's like that dopamine norphin rush and people just start talking. Like they just want to talk. They want to have like a, a therapy, like friend banter type of conversation. You hear some shit, being a personal trainer, we're like, bro, whoa, like that's a little bit wild, right? Like, yeah, for sure, for okay. sure. You know, yeah. um, people are still very comfortable with you. And um, this is something that, like even my coaching style now where I I really have to focus a lot on like the psychological component of coaching because it's not just enough for me to give someone really, really good protocols and be like, hey, look at these quant numbers, right? Look at the the macros that you're trying to hit in your diet. Look at like the weights you're trying to hit in the gym. That that's great if you're really, really good at those types of things. And I mean, I would say that I'm pretty good at that. But the psychological component of, you know, what is hindering their ability to actually hit those numbers on a week to week or month to month or year to year basis? And like, if there are those barriers, well, how do you get around those barriers, right? Um, and not every coach, not every practitioner is good at or understands even how to do that or even places the emphasis on that, right? even with high level athletes, because I think our assumption is always like high level athletes, just they're accountable. They're, they're robots. They're always going to just do exactly what we want them to do. And they're, if we just give them the right programs, then they're going to do it and they're going to get the results that we're hoping for. But that's really discounting a lot of the psychological component because you even mentioned like the circular aspect of the mind and the body. I like to think about that as like, you know, you, you have a professional basketball player who, like they're they're LeBron James, but they always miss free throws and free throws in clutch time, right? It's not a, a body issue, it's not a performance issue, it's a psychological issue. 
there's something going on there that that's almost like short circuiting their body. And that's coming from their nervous system. That's that's their brain, which is why I think sports psychology is so insanely interesting, right? Where you have these these professionals, these experts who go in and like mind fuck these professional athletes into being better at their job without doing anything physical, right? Like that to me is insanely powerful because that's easy if you know what you're doing, right? Like if you have a good system in place, it's like that's such a quick, fast, easy way to get performance increases. It doesn't require you going in and like squatting 400 pounds for reps, right? Like it's it's simple if you just fix the the mental psychological component if you know how to do that. Um, so I I love that you're kind of heading in that direction. You kind of put those pieces together because if you don't put those pieces together, you're missing something incredibly important. And I'm sure you can reiterate this, but a lot of people in both of our spaces are overlooking the psychological and mental component. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things to be said about that, right? Like, um, we'll just break it down into like a tangible example because I think that will help. Um, like when I explain the because everyone's heard the buzz like mind body connection right that that phrase but what does that mean to the individual right so um i'll use like i have a professional football player and very heady athlete very very heady same injury every season every single season and then and then we met and and i was just like let's just look at it from a different viewpoint so if you've ever been injured right if anything on your body ever hurt but specifically if you've been hurt doing something let's and we'll just use like you sprain your ankle like cutting right so when that happens it makes an imprint on your mind so that every time you go to cut again right you think about that moment where like okay i you know i did this and then i was out for six months yeah. And then you take the compounding of that, right? Anyone who uses their body or any physical um, practice where they gain a lot from it, meaning whether it's monetary or psychological, you gain a lot from it. And then all of a sudden you can't do it for six months. You can't do it the way you want to do it for six months. And then all the compounding stressors that happen on top of that. So when someone comes to me, we go through all of those components. Like what, cause I guarantee you every time, and it, it can be something as simple, like brain your ankle, stepping off a curb, right? Like the next time you step off that same curb, leaving that same place, you're going to think about the last time you stepped off that curb and you hurt yourself. And there's just no getting around that. So then when you, again, you put all of this other load like psychological load because it's I have to perform in order to get a paycheck or I have to perform in order to like not scream at my spouse when I get home. And so there's there's all these other components to it where if you just say like, oh, okay, come in and I'll just fix your ankle or we'll work on whatever that looks like, you're you're literally missing the point. And that's where like I love it when <laughs> My favorite clients are the, the ones who come to me and they're like, I've been to everybody else and no one can help me. I'm like, all right, like it's probably going to get a little weird, but <laughs> let's talk about some of these other things. And so we dive into the nervous system because I need to find out 
for myself and for you, but you know, for myself first, what you will respond to. So we talk about the senses like taste, touch, sight, smell. What are those things that take you from this elevated level and bring you down to where your body can just flow in the right space and feel safe? And then that's where we start, right? Like we start just talking about those things. And then that psychological component will come in. And then, of course, the physical piece. But by the time we get to the physical piece, you know, most people are who ascribe to an active lifestyle are strong, right? And it's just, are they strong in the right way? And, and most injuries, if you just talk structure, like they just need to be stronger. Like I need to send them to you, right? And, but we just need to know like, what is the pattern and why are we getting that same pattern that's causing re-injury? And like I said, 90% of the people that I see have never tried that approach of like, what am I thinking about or what is going through my nervous system when I'm trying to do this movement, especially if it's a movement that causes pain. And so again, in my opinion, you're missing half, if not more, of the situation if you're not diving into the psychological components of an injury. No, yeah, I, I love that. And I definitely agree with everything that you're saying there as well, because as someone who has been pretty chronically injured um, for most of my adult life, uh, I can attest to the fact that it's less the pain, it's more of the expectation of pain. And that becomes a huge problem, especially whenever, like you said, if you're someone who gets paid for your sport and you can't perform because you have these like psychological blocks let's say like you tore your ACL cutting or something like that, or you sprained your ankle coming back, there is going to be that aversion to cutting in the same way that you initially got injured. Well, maybe because you have these compensations around that you hurt your other leg, your other ankle, your other ACL. And then if those aren't corrected, all of a sudden you can't make money from your sport anymore. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's, that becomes really, really problematic really quickly. Um, and I've, I've struggled with that, the psychological component of like coming back from injury. I, I tore my adductor in 2020. Um, so this was after you, yeah, you and I, um, had stopped working together as much. I, I know that, you know, when I think we worked together around like 2018 was whenever I was coming and seeing you a lot, um, probably like close to my peak strength, but I actually, I tore my adductor, um, during quarantine for COVID crazy freak injury. Um, and even now I'm super guarded against everything with my adductor, like any kind of wide stance. Um, if I try and do a sumo deadlift, I'm, I'm super cautious. If I do like, uh, a Cossack squat, I'm like easing into it very, very, very carefully. Even, um, if I'm doing some kind of like adduction based movement or ab based movement, I'm so guarded because I'm like, well, I don't want this to happen again. And it severely limits my performance. Like, I mean, I'm strength wise for sure, way above what I'm actually doing in the gym because I'm so, so nervous about this re-injury or potential re-injury. And like, you can extrapolate that to pretty much anything in the gym and it becomes kind of a, a big ball of worry and stress and compensations and guarding. And, you know, some are bigger than others, but I mean, that's something that I think you kind of touched on if you can slowly start to eliminate some of those like ruts and negative patterns that you've developed over a lifetime of being in the gym and playing sports 
and you know moving moving i mean every we've all been moving for our entire lifetime um but people don't think about that you know like even with just walking if you do if you walk poorly or incorrectly which is possible you can start developing a lot of problems later on in your life and um you know those problems are correctable but like you have to be able to kind of work yourself out of those ruts that you've been in and I, that's the way that i like to think about like compensation patterns they're like ruts that you get stuck in you can't get out um so in terms of like tools that you are able to use um obviously the physical side you know dry needling we talked about that cupping graston i don't even want to think about all that shit trauma <laughs> trauma uh, <laughs> you know, oh we had great times i remember the first time okay bryce I, I haven't seen you in a long time, but when I was treating you, your quads were like enormous. Like they were, they were beautiful. I'm sure they still are. <laughs> and uh, I remember you were having just like this crazy knee pain. And I was like, okay, you know, we gotta, I need you to like be on board with this. Like we're going to needle your quads and you're immediately like, no, <laughs> stop talking. No, I was like, Bryce, hear me out. And so you finally agreed to it. <laughs> literally, I, I have a huge fear of needles. Clearly, I'm, I'm terrified of needles. So for whatever reason, like you wanted to watch you, whatever. I mean, like you, it's fine. Most people are like laying flat on my table. You're like, can I, can I watch you put the needle on? I'm like, all right, like whatever. So. I like the the insertion into the quad was fine and then I was you know we hang out like that for a little while it's like okay like now we got to take it out and it's like I mean it's a long needle because your quads are huge and I go to take it out and I look at your face and you're like I'm gonna throw up <laughs> I was like no <laughs> I actually I have a video still on my phone I actually saw it the other day and I was like what the fuck is this because it just looked the thumbnail looked goofy um, but it's a video of you needling my, my butt cheek. Ah, yes. <laughs> and I was like, why is this on my phone? Why is there a video of this? Um, but no, I, I have vivid memories of that. Uh, lacrosse balls everywhere. Um, yeah. Raston, the, everything, all of that. Um, so, I mean, but whenever it comes to physical tooling, I think that that's, most people have an idea of, of those types of, of things, but, um, what are some tools that you can even use? or mm -hmm. psychological component or like the mental component of performance and you know just because that i feel like is something that is probably a little bit more abstract for most people because it's very difficult to think about things that you can use to Im improve or assist with your performance that don't have to do with like manual adjustments um yes. you want to kind of like touch on some of those things yeah so oh this could be Quite the rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, so there's like, you know, there's like the things that most people have probably heard about as far as visualization and like, you know, tapping into like repressed memories or, you know, just performance wise. We're, we're not even going down the rabbit hole of like childhood trauma. We won't, we'll just keep it relevant to what we're talking about. So, so there's that. And then, <laughs> Something that is um, of a lot of interest to me currently is the use of um, like psychedelics and microdosing as a way to disarm the nervous system in a very specific way. So 
this is very controversial at the moment. Um, so not necessarily the use of psychedelics. Like we're all hearing about it in the news. Like once it hits like the Wall Street Journal, you know, like, all right, this is like <laughs> been a thing for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're not just going to print something they got to retract tomorrow. <laughs> so, so um, I mean, oh, I probably can't. I probably can't say his name. Um, we'll skip over that. There are people who are working in this realm right now um, who a lot of your listeners will know. And, um, you know, psychedelics are obviously being explored for uh, trauma, you know, PTSD, anxiety, depression. Um, you know, the VA trials with with veterans and PTSD are huge. Like, I think it's amazing work that they're doing. Um, so... My interest comes in obviously the realm of of feeling better performance wise, because um, if you, you like we just said, if you can get past the psychological piece, you're going to perform better, you're going to feel better, you're going to be less injured. So I'm this is why I'm transitioning. I'm um, I'm pursuing a degree that will allow me to utilize um, psychedelics and specifically. Um, the performance aspect of things and i anticipate it'll be you know more than that um but i want to essentially marry the world of uh psychological and physical right like my pt background with the component of being able to tap into whatever it is that is a mental block and just run on by it for lack of a better term um so this is being done right now. A lot of it is very much um, under the table. Um, I, you know, I am adjacent to that, but it, there, you know, there are people who are putting out great information on what are the protocols that we can utilize with uh, with athletes or just with people who want to feel better in their body, right? Because that's the that's the reality. Is like if we can get people to feel better in their bodies, whether they're, you know, a high level athlete or like the mom or dad that goes to the gym like once a month, right? Like what is, what if, because naturally if you can feel better in your body, you're going to pursue activity more, right? Um, But anyway, so that is kind of, sort of, in a roundabout way, what had started my shift into pursuing a degree that will me- allow me to, with a medical license, um, kind of marry these two worlds, which is, you know, probably part of why we're talking. Because <laughs> right. I know you have your own experiences with, you know, that kind of stuff. For sure. And um, obviously, like, being able to do that, marry, you said like the physical with the psychological is, I mean, those that's lofty, lofty goals. Right. Um, but I think that's part of it. Right. And we all should kind of aspire to be able to marry these different domains in a way that is a comprehensive protocol for someone, especially someone who is interested in like peak performance, because it's not, again, like what we talked about, it's not all physical, like the physical component at the the point of elite level athletes is honestly it's it's there, but like, I mean, how much better are you physically going to get whenever you're already an elite athlete, right? Like we're talking small percentage points better. So at a, at a certain level, it becomes increasingly more important to focus on things that aren't physical. Like how do you improve? Not just by putting, you know, 10 pounds on your squat, 
but maybe like your your pre-squat ritual, right? Maybe your nutrition before you squat, right? Like things that you're potentially losing small percentage points of improvement, but if those are all added up together, it becomes much greater than just 10 pounds on your squat from continuing to squat, you know, rep after rep after rep just to improve that lift. And, you know, like what you said, a lot of this stuff is being done kind of under the table, maybe a little bit more underground. And, you know, not that we condone any of that, but the thing is, is the same thing happens in any domain, right? The research is always lagging what's being done in the trenches, quote unquote. Um, everybody tends to already have an understanding as to how things work before there's any research paper or any official addition to a textbook. And that tends to be how you make the most progress in any field, though, is like someone has the balls to either like self-experiment or convince someone else to let them be their guinea pigs or whatever it might be, which again, got to be careful with that, especially whenever we're talking about this. And, you know, this is something we can go, go into here in a bit is, you know, the potential for um, really negative outcomes for people who aren't actually licensed and aren't experts at being able to handle these things because psychedelics are not, they're not playthings. You know, these, this is very, very, very serious. And I've had these conversations before. Um, but it does interest me greatly. Even something like you, you talked about microdosing, where I, I've seen a lot of papers come out, research come out that says, you know, microdosing doesn't have any tangible benefits. There's nothing that we can measure that says microdosing is improving outcomes. For someone I've, I've done microdosing protocols myself. Um, I've experimented, self-experimented, um, again, you know, sorry, DEA, but, um, for me, it has been something that I've noticed, you know, and whether that's placebo or whether that's, you know, actually the, the drugs having an effect, I don't give a shit. You know, if I feel better, it doesn't matter to me how I'm feeling better as long as I feel better. And I think people discount the placebo a lot whenever it comes to like psychological effects too. Like they try and write things off as the placebo where it's like, well, the placebo is a psychological effect, you guys. Like if we're getting that, that's actually a good thing, especially if it's resulting in something positive. So maybe let's not downplay that so much. Um, but I, I think that there, there is a lot of potential for things like this that are a little bit more on like the outskirts of what people would consider to be like normal protocols. Um, that I'm extremely interested in. And I'm glad that th these drugs are being decriminalized across a lot of different areas, because now we're starting to see a lot of these studies coming out. Like you said, um, a lot of stuff on veterans where, you know, they're, they're seeing how, how psilocybin or how M or MDMA like affects PTSD. And, you know, they're, they're doing it in a lot of depression trials with like ketamine and psilocybin. And it's like crazy, crazy, crazy effective. Um, so it's incredibly promising. And, I want to see, and hopefully at some point we do see some of this stuff done on like performance, like psychological performance, because it will probably be quite a bit of time because it's not necessarily as easy to monetize as things like, you know, depression are, because that's, that's a very easy market to tap into if you want to make some money as a, as a part of a pharmaceutical company, but it is incredibly interesting for me. So obviously there's a lot of things that, about this that we can't really talk about because again, you know, it's not necessarily regulated. Um, but in your mind, like, where do you kind of see some of this stuff going in an ideal circumstance and situation? Yeah, so I, so I think it's it's important to, you know, for people who don't follow this, right? Like, I'm obviously, like, nerding about it right now. You are 
well-read and things like that. Um, I think it's important for people to understand, like, at least I, I will speak to Columbus, Ohio, right? Like, if you have a child who breaks their arm and you take them to Nationwide Children's, they're getting a dose of ketamine and not an opioid. So we talk about psychedelics as if it's like, and this is just part of the the history of psychedelics in this country as something that is like, ooh, like I can't touch that or that's really scary and I don't understand. And so I think it, it's it's important to note that, uh, you know, ketamine is a synthetic psychedelic, right? But it is utilized, you know, already in medicine. So these trials are these things that um, – that are being studied like this research has been going on since uh, the you know 1950s as far as what that we know so it's not like someone figured this out 10 years ago so part of that understanding is is like even like i'll go back to like nationwide children's like uh, here in columbus nationwide children's is running one of the largest studies on um ketamine assisted psychotherapy on teenagers so it is it i mean this is a thing so yeah. people talking about it in a way where it's like oh yeah like i went to this party one time we have to differentiate between you know drug abuse right and therapeutic use of drugs it's the same way when you look at like an opioid right like you take a painkiller because you're in pain obviously that has had far-reaching effects and created this crisis in this country. So we have to understand what we're actually talking about. And and I think part of bringing down the stigma of what psychedelics are capable of will help to bring down that fear of the unknown, right? Because our really <laughs> laws have told us for the last 70 years that psychedelics are bad. And so people... Um, you know, you're going to get a lot of pushback there, but uh, I think it's important to say, like, we are talking about the therapeutic use of of a mind-altering drug in a medicinal way. And when I say, like, a lot of these things are being done under the table, I don't, like, I don't necessarily mean, like, in a back alley somewhere. I mean, like, they're being done in labs with people who have special permission from the DEA to utilize MDMA, ketamine, you know, psilocybin uh, in these ways. And you're just not going to see it for 10 to 15 more years. And then you've got these, you know, it's kind of like the, the like six degrees of separation from things, right? So these other labs and these other people who understand and know these protocols, like these scientists who are working through these things and really creating like a supportive research to what has already been going on. Um like that's what's coming up. And that's that part is really exciting because like you were saying, um, there is a ton of research right now that is saying, you know, microdosing, yes, like it's kind of like a 50-50 depending on the person situation. So, you know, you have to look at what are those studies actually looking at? Like are, are, they're, they're not looking at the things that you and I are talking about today, right? If you can bring in a microdose situation, you can bring the nervous system into a state of safety and then perform an athletic movement that was previously problematic or or traumatic because of an injury how can we move through a progression in a training session 
that is supported with a, you know, some type of psychedelic intervention. Um, that kind of thing. Like I said, we're probably years away from that as far as seeing that come out in protocols that like a professional sports team would use, but it's being done right now. I will, I can 100% tell you that for a fact. And so that's the kind of thing where, you know, again, if it helps someone get into their body in in a safe way and, and you know, re-enter an activity, um, I feel like it's well worth exploring. And it, I mean, it could be, it could do so much for, like you, all right, I'm going to get a little personal here. Yeah. So, so I, um, you know, I grew up playing soccer, right? Like it was my outlet, like my parents got divorced when I was young. And so like, that was my family, like going and playing soccer was my thing. And so when I was in high school, I tore my ACL. And then, so I tore it in my freshman year and, and like, so this thing I devoted my whole life to all of a sudden ripped away. Right. And then a year later I told my other ACL. <laughs> and, and so it's like, you know, there's, so there's this like major trauma and like you take a situation like that, but put it into like, um, like a professional athlete or, or even someone who plays at the collegiate level or like a mom or dad who has responsibilities. Right. Like there's so many layers of of the the mental part that now will go into this. And it's like, can we just bypass that or not even bypass it? Because the only way through is through, right? So can we get through that in a way that doesn't bring up that trauma and keep us there? Because there's there's this big I'm gonna stereotype. It it's like there's this this need right now to talk about our, our traumas in life. Right. But then it's like, we don't live there. Right. Like we can talk about it and we can bring it up and that's part of the healing. But there are some people and some people, some large groups of people that think that that's where the work stops. And, and really that's, that's where it begins. And then you blow up far past that. So I'm obviously, because of what I do, interested in injury prevention, uh, rehabilitation, and things like that. Um, but it just opens so many doors when you can talk about this in a really therapeutic way. And that's what I, I hope to be able to do is is really bring this conversation into a space where it's it, it allows people to not approach this with fear, but with like a genuine curiosity. Yeah, I, I think that the curiosity point is is really powerful. That's a good point to make because you mentioned that psychedelics, well, just drugs in general, are like there there is this danger associated with them, or there's a stigma of danger. Be, well, because they're illegal, but also there are a lot of things that we see in the media, and there's always been this like um, this push for for demonizing of drugs and i would say obviously like psychedelics get bunched in with that but you know you have weed you have obviously the big ones like crack and cocaine and even alcohol to a degree right which for better or for worse i i would kind of leave alcohol out of this one but um there's there's always this say all of the bad things hype it up to be like this thing that that you know kills people and destroys lives but like we just conveniently leave out the reason why people do those things in the first place and obviously there are some that are just recreationally fun, right? Like I mean, cocaine, we, we get why people want to do cocaine. It's just fun, right? 
Um, but I wouldn't say that like psychedelics are necessarily fun. And yeah. And that's the thing I think a lot of people miss and a lot of people, especially that have never done them. And unfortunately, a lot of the people that are regulating and creating legislation around drug laws have never done these drugs before, um, which is a problem unto itself. I think, you know, if you're regulating something, you should actually know what you're regulating. And that doesn't necessarily mean doing heroin just to be able to regulate heroin. But um, you should understand, you know, what makes a classical psychedelic different than something like heroin. But for me, the way that I've always viewed this is drugs can be dangerous, but drugs are powerful and psychedelics are, they're powerful, they're serious. And the danger is more so uh, an external thing related to the psychedelic itself. Just because you take a psychedelic doesn't necessarily put you at greater risk of danger, but you need to understand what you are doing. You need to understand what it is. You need to understand like what the risks involved are. And I, I think that the recreational side of psychedelic use tends to just blow that off as like, oh, you know, that's just fear mongering. That's just people being in the media and hyping this up and saying like, it's so bad. And, you know, like there's the, the political connotations associated with psychedelics, which we could go into, like you said, the history of it. But I think that's too hand wavy because there are risks associated with psychedelics. And if you're doing something like that and you're ignorant of the risks and, you know, potentially even around someone who is, uh, a practitioner or a shaman or a guru or whatever the fuck they want to call themselves. Right. But if you're around those people and they're not preparing you the way that you need to be prepared for something like that, then that's when risks get introduced very quickly. And something that is meant to be, like you said, more medicinal ends up being very detrimental. And that's where it becomes a drug, right? Like this is a danger drug, but mm -hmm they can be done safely. And I think that's where the push towards kind of making this legitimate is important. And I think that there are potentials for people to fuck this up before it gets to being truly legitimate. But I think that's also where people who are more in the space of, you know, being very pro psychedelic, being very interested in like, you know, where this is going, really wanting to see like, you know, foundations like maps continue to push mm -hmm. The research forward and push like the the um the legislation forward and really lobby you know congress to be able to pass some of these laws that like decriminalization i think those are very important but again i, I i'm someone who just because of my own experiences i think that we should not just discount the risks and what can potentially go wrong because we don't want to admit those things we don't want to talk about them because that potentially will delay or slow down where we all want this to go and that's you know legalization that well eh, decriminalization i think is good right that's good as long as these yeah. things are not like in clinics or done very safely um but i i think that it's too easy to hand wave the potential downsides if the if they're done wrong um and i know that you know someone like you you're like wanting to go into this field i'm sure you can appreciate that very similar to a, a pt who is being very reckless in their treatments or their advice it's it's not, it's the same, but it's not the same because it's way more serious for someone who is um, being very, very um, unprofessional or very lackadaisical about like um, things with psychedelics. So I'm someone I'm very much like, Hey dude, this is not a recreational drug. Like you shouldn't do this at a party. Um, I'm someone, I go to festivals. I love festivals. I'm like, I do not, I won't do them at a festival. Right? Like that's just not, that's not what I think is my definition of fun. 
right? Can it be fun? Sure. Can it not be fun? Very much so. It can be very not fun, you know? So I think that's part of where my perception and my viewpoints on on psychedelics are at the moment, where I'm really hoping that these things get all the way to the finish line without someone fucking it all up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's um, there's a lot of that conversation, even in the, you know, the behind the scenes um, that that is currently happening quite a bit with people who... <clears throat> who are operating in these circles you know how do we how do we bring this conversation forward without uh making a mess of it before we even get to the tables i think that's a great point that you make like we have to be good stewards of of how we approach this and and hopefully you know hopefully that will happen what for you are the next steps in in this journey because you are currently going back to school and I know that this has been a little bit more vague and how you mentioned going back to school for even to me. So I am curious, like kind of like where you see your next steps along this integration of physical and psychological going. Yeah, so I um, I will graduate um, in August of 2024. Um, and I'm already in conversations with a couple uh, practitioners like nurse practitioner and D um, to kind of see. So right now, the only protocol that, um, well, so ketamine is is the only you know approved like nationally approved uh, psychedelic that is being utilized. Like you, there are I, I don't know how much you know about this, but like you can go to a ketamine drip you know center in Dublin, like. 20 minutes from your house. Uh, so those those exist all over the country. Um, my interest is more in like, so in a situation like that, you know, you're hooked up to an IV, obviously you're not going to like move around too much. Uh, um, so there are places and protocols where um, you can apply for special use or, you know, you can get involved in studies that are happening. So I'm, I'm in talks right now. Uh, I don't know exactly how that's going to evolve. Um, I'll explore it as time permits. School is a lot right now. Um, So I'm basically studying to get an RN and then I'll go into an NP program. So then I'll be able to practice autonomously. And um, ketamine is, like I said, the one drug that's approved across the board. Um, to utilize in different ways as far as, you know, trauma and anxiety and depression. Uh, so that's probably the first direction that, that makes the most sense. And, and uh, you know, there's there's more protocols that exist with that. Um, so that would be the idea is that, you know, I will be able to practice uh, autonomously eventually uh, and marry these two worlds. But, you, you know, there's, there's still a lot of time and a lot of things to explore. Um, a lot of things to learn and, and people to um, come alongside of to to really make sure that I am a good steward and practicing, you know, practice practicing this. You know, we talked about this briefly the other day. It's all about set and setting, right? So I want to set it up to um, to make sure that whoever I see feels fully supported and feels like this is a place wherever I am, you know practicing that it's a place that they can come and actually get 
uh, a benefit, right? Like a great result. Um, I, I was telling Luke the other day, I Googled, I don't know why, I Googled like ketamine therapy in Ohio. And like the, the first thing that came up was a Google review on this um, IV clinic that was run by a nurse practitioner. And it was like a one star. And the person was like, I had the worst experience. And they, and they really went into detail about how oh. it was just like, you know, okay, here, like you sit for like a couple hours. And then they have this like, it sounds like a, like a giant, you know, experience as far as like an emotional one. And then they were like, the practitioner's like, okay, Bye. follow up with your psychologist. Like, oh God. Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so you, you're right. Like there, this, when you tap it, cause there's, there's so many things that people hold inside themselves that they don't understand and they don't even really know are there. And so when your mind is is put in a place where you feel safe enough to think about those things, um, you know, it can be very jarring if you don't have someone on the other end saying like, here are, here are things that you can expect, right? Like you're, it's almost like you, you can be in this altered sense of reality and it's very, it's very disorienting. It can be very scary. Um, if it's not done right. So, you, you know, you really like, I, I'm not, I guess it, since I'm talking about it publicly now, it's kind of put it going to put my feet to the fire, but you know, I, I really do believe if I can't bring a situation where, where I can really support whoever I see, then I'm not going to do it because it's just so, you know, I don't want to add to the problem, but I think there's a lot, there's a lot there and there's a lot that can be explored that can just bring so much good to really the population as a whole like you know my interest is to get people moving more but it can it can do so much more than that you mentioned briefly set and setting do you want to kind of describe maybe go into a little bit more depth as to what that means because some people might not truly understand what set and setting as it's referred to in the psychedelic sense what, what that refers to and what that means um and then kind of what you were talking about at the end was the integration piece which is if set and setting aren't the most important, then integration is the most important. And I don't know if those two can be disconnected from one another because of how important they are to having a productive experience with psychedelics. But set and setting, if you would want to kind of describe that, and then maybe we can just kind of briefly touch on like the integration, how that relates to set and setting as well. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, as far as your setup, right? Like when, once you just decide like, okay, I've had enough. I've Googled enough. <laughs> I've been on Instagram enough. And like, maybe this is um, like trying like a ketamine session, right? A therapeutic ketamine session is something I want. You want to make sure that you find a place where, you know, your pre-call is, is very much setting the tone. Like they should be asking, what is your intention? You know, what do you want to get out of this? What do you know? What do you not know? What are your fears? Um, what are the things you're excited about? And I mean, it really should be like an intake, just as if you were going to a doctor or a psychologist, like they should know all of these things about you. Medical history, of course, like that. I mean, of course, maybe that for me, that goes without saying, maybe for some people, it doesn't. Because, um, you know, there's certain things like, you know, um, SSRIs and things like that will mess with the, you know, how, how the drugs work, meds work in your system. So, there's a lot of that piece. And then um, 
I believe that that tone is set from the initial, like, hey, I want to do this. And if you can't feel that way or don't feel that way with who you're working with, it, it's, in my experience, the, the experience on the other side, the outcome is, is always hindered. Uh, and it's very unfortunate. Um, so, cause there, I mean, you know, a lot of these places for a session, you know, you're paying six to $800 for three to four hours and to not, to invest that kind of time and be in a place where you're very vulnerable and not feel supported. Um, it, you know, it, it's just, it's setting yourself up for failure. So that's really important. And then setting, right? Like you mentioned, like you're not going to go to like a rave. Like this is it, like uh, a situation where you're stimulated. Um, a lot of times these, um, you know, it's it's almost um, like a massage parlor type feel, massage room type feel, uh, and where it's, you know, low lighting, very chill, zen music. Um, and in my experiences, you know, there's there's no interaction or very little interaction with the people who are there to support you while you're in the session. Obviously, if you need something, you are always being monitored. Um, and then if you, you know, find yourself in like a thought loop or something like that, there are tools and techniques to kind of push you through that that they can help you with. But um, it, it by no means is I'm going to hook you up to like an IV or give you an injection and then see in a few hours. Um, so, I mean, that's really important. Like, you you know, if you think about being in a, a position where you just feel really vulnerable, like you're not, like you're not going to want to be out in the open in a, you know, very sterile medical environment. Um, so like that's, that's a big part of it. Right. And then afterwards, like when you come out of this, this state of being or this, you know, what happens when, when you take uh, something that alters your mind in that way, usually whatever the issue is that is going on for you, whether you realize it or not, it's a thing the brain immediately will go to. So your, your brain will naturally prioritize whatever it is you need to think about or work through. You don't, a lot of people are like, well, what do I do? Like, what do I think about? It's like, you don't need to worry about it. Like your brain, it's going to trust me and we're going to go right there. Um, so once you work through that, right, because it's probably something pretty big, you have to have someone who on the other side can support you. And and whether that's talking about it or just sitting next to you and as you like, you know, come out of whatever you're thinking about and and can show you, okay, Here's, you know, here's how we move through this. Here's how we, here are different ways or different avenues that we can now go given this information. So it's just, it's so important. Like I cannot stress that enough. Uh, it, it is not a pop in, hang out, get on an IV, see in a few weeks. <laughs> it, it, it's not that. Yeah. And I do think that there's, there's a lot still to be learned about the, optimal way to approach set and setting and even integration and again you know we've been studying a lot of these compounds since the 50s but a lot of the older research got 
lost or covered up or um you know like banned outright and you know a lot of a lot of what was discovered um in legitimate research trials 50 plus years ago we're not really able to lean on anymore and some of those scientists were were fucking phenomenal like they were they were doing like cutting edge research and it was it was really really great and you hear interviews with them now and they were talking about some of the stuff that they were they were seeing and finding and you know, maybe it's not as good, but you know, a lot of the the regulations around research back then were a little bit less strict, so they could kind of do some wild shit, which is fun to read about. But um, I don't know how ethical that is. But but anyway, you know, like they were they were learning and finding out a lot of stuff about the proper ways to do these things to get the best outcomes, um, or at least the outcomes that they were they were trying to induce. And you know, again, speaking from just personal experience and you know having done some of these these compounds, but you know, going into it and understanding, you know, what to expect or what you can potentially expect. That's crucial. It's crucial because it allows you to already have an idea of where this is going and to also just not be caught off guard by something really, really big coming up or really scary coming up. Um, Again, because I, I think that there are two sides of the coin a lot of times publicly where like psychedelics are universally bad or psychedelics are like party drugs they're fun they're they're always going to be fun and it is important to go in like you said the setting aspect setting those intentions and understanding like this is what we're going to do if something does start to maybe become a little bit difficult right um and then you've mentioned the setting and i think that the most important part of the setting is having someone there as as a trusted chaperone to be able to assist if anything does start to happen or they can kind of guide the the journey in the way that is meant to kind of meant to go right like the the best way and hopefully those those chaperones are experienced and they they're trained and they you know know what they're doing because that's also incredibly important but the trust aspect because if you don't trust who you're with i mean you're that's a, a good way to have a negative experience but also you kind of mentioned being like you're very impressionable whenever you're under the influence of of these compounds but I like to think of it as literally like you're like a toddler. You, yes. you, like, your your brain is is not working the way that you're accustomed to it working. So it's very much like you had the whole slate wiped clean and everything that you're now going to be bringing in is you're processing it like new information. And again, you know, speaking from personal experience, like sometimes whenever you you have a very profound experience you you come out of it and you're like holy shit the world is real like it's amazing like you're like i'm breathing right now this is fucking crazy like i'm touching you wow like you're just like like a child you know um and that's really good because that allows you kind of like short circuit some of like the negative that like some of the negative patterns that you had been leaning into before that experience but it also does put so much emphasis on having a good integration a good chaperone to help you with that process because if that doesn't happen then you're like a toddler without a parent you're just like what the fuck do i do what is this you know and you're trying to put the pieces together on a an experience that makes no sense none of it makes any sense so it's very wrenching like it 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 is very disorienting and honestly it's kind of terrifying if you're trying to do all that on your own without some assistance and without some guidance um, but that, that's where I think that, you know, doing these things quote unquote the right way, and we still don't really know the right way, but 
the right way as to like the best that we can assume at the moment. Um, it's it's so 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 crucial to having a experience that is actually productive rather than something that is truly truly detrimental. And you mentioned you know SSRIs as being something that's contraindicated, but if you're someone who has any kind of like mental health history or mental health issues are in your family, like bipolar or schizophrenia, like these are things that can be triggered in you by taking these substances. And most people don't know that that is a pre-existing concern before it's too late. And this is where you hear a lot of like the horror stories of psychedelics, of, you know, people losing their mind and ending, ending up in like loony bins and stuff like that. Um, and it's, it's horrifying and it's tragic, but I would hope that, you know, this time around we get it right where it's not just, you know, passing out acid at parties and, you know, just having these like mass, I don't know, like everything is happy sessions with like hundreds of people just like, you know, doing shrooms. Hopefully at this point, we, we've kind of gotten to the point where we understand what these things are and we understand like how to do them in a safe and effective way. And I would imagine that over the next few years, as long as no one fucks it up, like what we, we talked about, that this is going to start becoming a little bit more commonplace in legitimate protocols for wellness, health, even fitness, like what we're kind of talking about, taking care of the body. Um, and that's like really where I hope to see some of these things go because the potential is there, but it's just kind of dependent on collectively what some of these early adopters decide to do with what's in our hands, the power that we have. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Is there anything else that you want to add before we wrap this up? Um, you know, I think we've, I mean, we've covered a lot. Uh, I think it's been a really great conversation. Um, I definitely am excited to see where this goes. Um, you know, as I get into it, I'm sure I'll give you a call. It'll be some, some more guinea pig activity. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, we've had, we've covered a lot and I think it's been pretty good to start the conversation. Oh yeah, that's awesome. So like, I always allow everyone to kind of plug themselves and and tell the listeners where they can find you if you're, uh, or if they want to reach out to you, if they want to know more information about you and what some of the services that you offer are. So yeah, if you just want to drop that, that would be super yeah. cool. Obviously I can sure. leave that in like the the links to the show notes. Yeah, so um, my physical office is in Columbus, Ohio. It's in Grandview. Um, the wellness spot is what it is called. I uh, am currently on a wait list mainly because I'm in school. Um, but yeah, I I'm always interested in the conversation. If this was you know piqued your interest at all, um, Dr. Dev at wellness-spot.com or Dr. Dev underscore DPT on Instagram. Um, those are the places you can reach out. No, that's dope. Thank you so much, Dev. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you walking us through this. And no, I would love to have you back on maybe at some point next year, whenever done with school. And maybe we can talk about like some of the next steps then, because I'm definitely interested in seeing where this can go. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much, Dev. 